<laughs> All right, any other questions? Yeah, uh, just mentally though. Are you okay? Are you kidding me? Are you okay? Welcome to the Saturday Night Live After Party. This week we'll be discussing Season 42, Episode 14 of Saturday Night Live with record-setting host Alec Baldwin and musical guest Ed Sheeran. I'm John Murray and joining me this week is Matthew Hawkins. Matt is a comedian and impressionist who listeners may know from New York's Comic Strip Live and Gotham Comedy Club. You can connect with Matt on Twitter at TheMimicHawkins. And you can connect with us at SNLAfterParty.fm. Alright, Enjoy. Okay, so let's start off with a little bit of news and feedback. Before we jump in, though, I just want to give a quick shout out to author and educator and apparently podcast listener, Stephen Tropiano. He's the author of the Saturday Night Live FAQ, and he was generous enough to mail me out a copy of this book. Now, we had connected on Twitter a little while back and he'd mentioned, oh, I wrote an SNL book and I'm thinking, oh, okay. So he like, he self-produced a PDF ebook or something like I didn't, didn't make much of it. And he's like, I'll send it to you. And I'm like, oh, okay, great, great. Send it to me. And this book arrives and it's a 500 page behemoth encyclopedia of every minute SNL detail that you could ever want to know. And this is, this is a legit book. I mean, this, and this guy, this is Dr. Steven Tropiano. He's the director of Ithaca college's Los Angeles program for TV and film studies. He's basically, you know, an expert among experts. And he wrote the book on SNL. I just think it was really fantastic that he reached out and he wanted to send that along. I wanted to let him know that I've been reading it religiously. It is filling in so many gaps in my knowledge of SNL and, just painting a much more well-rounded picture of the show's history than you can get just watching the show or some of the oral histories or the other little tidbits that we can tap into. This is really a book that just lays it all out efficiently. It's just really good, really, really good and not boring, not boring at all. So this isn't a paid advertisement or anything. There's no agenda here. I just really thought it was great that he sent that along. I'm really enjoying the book and I thought our listeners, you know, it's really worth picking up. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put a link to it in our show notes. And if anyone wants to connect with Steven, they can find him on Twitter at Steven Trop. That's Steven with a PH and uh, check it out. It's called the Saturday night live FAQ and it's great. And so I really appreciate him sending that along. Now in our last cast, obviously Melissa McCarthy was the big discussion point. I had mentioned that Kent Sublett and Colin Jost and Rob Klein had been involved in creating that sketch, but I wasn't able to tack down who really had that moment of brilliance where it occurs to them, you know, who is the right fit for this? Melissa McCarthy. She's a friend of the show. She's a fantastic sketch performer. We haven't had her in, in a while. This is like just the perfect collision for her. Uh, People magazine did confirm that it was Kent Sublett. And so I think, you know, we owe him a 
attaboy, <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. like a well done. He just came on board as one of the co-head writers and uh, he scored a real win right out of the gate. So good on him. Touchdown. Yeah. Recently syndicated columnist and contributor to the podcast, Andy Hoagland. He's the one who we're working with on some interviews with SNL alum, et cetera. And we have a few more of those coming down the pipe soon enough. He had a chance to interview SNL alum, Chris Kattan, and he took what uh, he gleaned from that audio interview. And he made a really fantastic article that got published over at pace magazine. So we're going to include a link to that in our show notes as well. But he's also given us the full audio of the interview to post as an exclusive on our website. So I'm going to be putting that up along with this podcast. So when it goes live, you can also head over to snlafterparty.fm and uh, you can dig into some of Chris Catan's insights. He had some really uh, fun anecdotes about growing up around the groundlings and uh, seeing performers like Paul Rubens develop the Pee Wee character and obviously being around Phil Hartman and uh, John Lovitz and, and so many other talents at the time. So he got that kind of a, a boot camp. He just was able to absorb so much comedy training from being around the groundlings when he was younger. And uh, he gets into a bit of that and it, it's a lot of fun. So I hope our, our listeners enjoy that as kind of a little side bonus feature on the site. And, uh, with that said, let's get into a little bit of feedback. Reddit user meme sustential wanted to send along a correction from our last podcast. Now I had said that Alec Baldwin was taking the crown from Steve Martin with last night's show. And that's not the case. He actually took that with his last performance when he did his 16th time hosting. That's when he took the crown at this point, he's just beating his own record. So consider ourselves corrected. Thank you very much for sending that along. But he also says, or he actually asks, what are your thoughts on the first installment of SNL stories for Snapchat discover? Did you have a chance to see that Snapchat piece that they put together that had Beck Bennett and AD Bryant in it? I did not. Okay. So I'll weigh in on it quickly here. The premise is they are both liberally minded individuals who are disenfranchised with Trump being elected and in protest, they're boycotting any products or people that support Trump. Hmm. So at a certain point, they're literally out on the street naked because they can't wear any clothes. They can't drive any vehicles. They can't function at a certain point just because they're trying to send a message right. and affect some real change. Anyways, that's, that's the premise of it. You can go check it out. It's fun. It's well edited. It's got a very frenetic pace to it as the tension ramps up as they keep coming across more controversies that they have to rally against. So it's fun. It's a, it's a well edited, smart, fun little piece. It's shot in the vertical cell phone format mm. to work on Snapchat, which is kind of weird <laughs> to kind of have that thin view of the picture or whatever, but right. that's a small quibble. The The piece was fun. I think it should have been in the show personally. I, I think it would have been strong enough to go head to head with some of the pre-tapes they had last night, but it is cool. It's cool that they're trying to find new venues to get their comedy out there and Hopefully by diversifying, they can keep, you know, revenue going at the show and keep people engaged and interested. They obviously have to really dig now because advertising revenue is harder to keep flowing towards the show since broadcast TV isn't really the only player in town anymore. So they've got to do these experiments. They have to get out on the internet and they have to really capitalize on the, the avenues and the platforms that are available to them to, to build the credit of the show. So, you know, it is what it is. Uh, I would have liked to see it on a big TV. That's really my only takeaway is <laughs> it was a good piece. I didn't want to be holding my phone to watch it. First world problems. Yeah, exactly. 
That's a huge hassle. <laughs> I don't have much else to say about it. It's just a sketch. Yeah. That's all it really is. A sketch, same as you would find anywhere else. I don't think this is groundbreaking entertainment. And I resented a little bit having to sign up for Snapchat uh, to be able to view it. Gotcha. Between Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, I don't want a fourth social media platform that I need to start tracking to keep my finger on the pulse of what's happening with SNL. So if the show could just find a way to help me digest their content in a more effortless capacity, that'd be great. Yeah. I know you put out an app and I know you put out CISO (laughs) and I know that you've given us every opportunity to get all of your content for free effortlessly, but come on, don't make me also sign up for Snapchat. Well, here's the thing too. And this is what, you know, living in Canada, when you go to the website, I don't know if this has ever happened to you. When you go to watch the video and says not available in your country. Oh yeah. What yeah. is that? I was speaking as a general American consumer, but you're absolutely right. In Canada, we're, we're totally screwed. Yeah. There's no CISO here. There's no SNL no. app. There's no YouTube. We, we have to send a Falcon yeah. and it has to pick up a digital file and then bring it to us. And then we have to install it on our, our laptops or something. Yeah. And that's not to mention how much of a hassle it is to try and pump high speed internet into an igloo. Yeah. It's <laughs> so hard. <laughs> okay. So that is our news and feedback. Let's jump into the show. Let's jump. Cold open. Melissa McCarthy is back as a new, more calm and composed spicy. We're <laughs> revisiting basically the same sketch that we got last week, but this time it's formulated into the cold open proper. What'd you think? Did we want to see spicy back this soon? Oh my God. Yes. She was <laughs> fire out of the gate. She is the way you would want to start a Saturday night live with Alec Baldwin. A hundred percent. Yes. She killed it. Yep. She killed it again. She killed it again. Considering that it was so closely a retread of the last one. Yeah. I was expecting to not be as immediately drawn in and enraptured by it but no she just she's such a presence and she commits so so much to the energy of the character and the feistiness of it that yeah you just you're, you're one over what i love about her i mean not only is her energy just skyrocketed through <laughs> the roof and she's one of those people that could easily have been a cast member oh sure yeah and would have killed it but with her energy and what i loved about her, how fast she was she wasn't like reading cue cards do you notice that mm. it wasn't like she was reading she was like ad-libbing but it, everything that she was touching on was gold yeah like it was like she was still going still going and you're waiting as an audience member to be like okay, when's she going to stop? And she kept going and kept killing, which is, you know, the goal. She has an incredibly sharp mind for improv and sketch comedy. You can see that she's just firing like mentally. She's two steps ahead and she's still making it engaging and fun when it's coming out. There is a certain kind of genius, like a certain way of thinking that you have to have developed to be able to rapid fire the way that she does. And yeah, she's great. She's fantastic at it. And she's doing her, her uh, Melissa McCarthy aggressiveness with the <laughs> chewing of the gum, then throwing it yep. with, again, with, uh, what was it, the leaf blower uh, on Cecily, <laughs> and then finally with the podium. I mean, the props in it, she made every prop even 10 times funnier. Yeah, my only criticism of the sketch is that because we just saw it last week and because it was like so fresh and so unexpected last week, the second outing can never quite feel as like just catch you by surprise and fun and unique as the first time you see it, unless you let a lot of time pass, in which case it can feel fresh again. So my only thought was the gags were all good, that it all could have been material that was just as good that could have been in last week's outing. Right. But because we just saw this last week, a lot of it just felt like, okay, well, this is as good, but not exceptionally better 
Right. Yeah. Sequels are never as good as the original, right? So. Yeah. You, you can't recapture the magic of experiencing something for the first time. And so as good as it was, if we'd seen this sketch last week, the praise would be higher because yeah. it would have been the, our first outing with it. The second outing just, it never quite measures up. Even if they work really hard to find more ways for her to accost <laughs> these poor journalists. Right. And, uh, props to Cecily strong for taking that leaf blower. <laughs> I mean, that's, <laughs> that's kind of fearless. Like yeah. getting it like right in the face there and her skin's getting all like bunched up from the air pressure and obviously, you know, the dress and everything. So they, they definitely tried to push it and elevate it as much as they could, which uh, I, I really appreciate the effort in that regard. I just like the fact that it didn't start necessarily on Trump. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was the first thing I was picturing, like they're going to go right into Trump right away. And they didn't. Mm -hmm. And uh, I like the fact that it's a non-cast member like Larry David or or like, you know, no longer Tina Fey, but when she would come on the show and now obviously Alec Baldwin, it's uh, someone taking the realm and and really, really killing, Mm -hmm. which I like that Lauren's allowing it. Yeah, I think it's a smart move on the show's part to not bring out Baldwin as Trump in the cold open on an episode where he's going to be featured in every sketch, mm-hmm. right? They need to walk that line of not oversaturating Trump into the episode because right. that's the obvious move. Right. But I think the show has a, a sensibility that knows kind of when to pull back a bit and mm-hmm. leave him wanting more rather than just beat him over the head with a character. Sometimes, I mean, not always. Sometimes they will drive a character into the ground, but I think they played it very smart. Yeah. And I mean, if you have Melissa McCarthy, who's game to come in, you're not going to get a better cold open. So why, why fight it? <laughs> if it ain't broke, don't fix, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So definitely a fun and energetic way to get the show started and as good of a second outing as they could have possibly done as far as I'm concerned. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. All right. Uh, monologue. Pete Davidson wants to learn from the best. He comes out to join Alec Baldwin on home base and obviously, uh, with his young age and compromised mental faculties, maybe, maybe doesn't understand what a big deal Alec Baldwin was back in the day. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they, they definitely played on that with the whole age thing. <laughs> I think Alec was a good sport to be willing to uh, take a few jabs there. (laughs) Well, he took them, but holding the title, that's a huge thing. And they had to acknowledge that, you know, show me something that you've done or talk about it. Right. And I think they did a good job of acknowledging that. Yeah. They obviously wanted to tap into his legacy on the show. So they do the little run of clips and stuff and then try to flip it a bit and bring Pete Davidson in to point out that, okay, clips from 20 years ago are great, but what have you done for millennials you know yeah Yeah, so that that was kind of fun uh it wasn't one for the record books it was pretty standard fare yeah they really hyped this episode right like there's no way i couldn't come into this with really high expectations right so when you get a monologue that plays out pretty Mm run-of-the-mill kind of what you would expect from a typical episode of snl i wanted more right and i don't know if the show really just can always do that you can't always find a groundbreaking monologue. It just, it's not like there's a button that you can push and make that happen. So it is what it is. It's just for a 17th time out. I was hoping they'd find something more inventive, but this was fine. It was very serviceable. I think it was the bread on a really good hamburger. You know what I mean? They knew they were spending the most of the time on the meat and they just, all right, let's give them some bread. You know, let's concentrate on the meat. Not every moment of the show is the moment of the show. Right. And uh, in this case, the monologue was not the moment of the show, but it was perfectly serviceable and it didn't put me off in any way like i didn't go into the first sketch feeling like okay we're kind of fumbling there's something off the energy's not right it didn't do any of that it felt good it just would have been great if they'd had something really monumental in their pocket but right sometimes that's just asking too much so you're asking for a 10 out of 10 that's tough is, is that too much can't every yeah. sketch be 10 out of 10 <laughs> on snl every week can everybody be like zach alfanakis <laughs> when he does a monologue like please 
yeah, so we're, we're still in, in good shape with the show moving into our first pre-tape Russell Stover's black history, heart shaped box. <laughs> uh, it's black history month and the best way to show your interracial love interest that you, you get their struggle is to buy them some chocolates molded into the face of prominent black leaders throughout history with Bill Clinton <laughs> and Bill Clinton for some reason. <laughs> what do you think? Did this hold up? To be honest with you, I don't know. I, it's kind of uncomfortable a little bit. You know what I mean? Because I don't really don't know how to to really react with something like that because it is racial, right? But it, it, they're making fun of it. So it's for me, I was like, I didn't really know how to react. I was very impressed with the actual the chocolate itself. Like whoever <laughs> did that prop, I was like, wow, like they spent a lot of time <laughs> on the chocolates. And it was one of those sketches where I kind of go, I, I don't know how to feel about that. You know what I mean? Fair enough. I think if you want to get the sketch, you have to experience it through the eyes of the two female companions. Yeah. Like you look at Sashir and how put off she is by it. Right. And same with Leslie. They both did a good job of quietly trying to hold in their disgust mm -hmm. with how much their lover has missed the point yes. of who they are. Like it just, it, it I, th I think the, the enjoyment of the sketch comes from embracing that they're put off by it as well. Right. And that's what makes it fun. And, and if you keep it in that realm and don't, take it for more than it is, then I don't think it has to be too uncomfortable. I enjoyed it. I didn't think that this was groundbreaking, right. but it was a fun little romp. It was a fun little take on the fact that we've got kind of these two overlapping events in February and what's just kind of the most, um, how do we mix them together? Yeah. Yeah. What's the, <laughs> what's the, the most innocently offensive way that those two things could be combined by someone that just doesn't understand. Right. Doesn't get it. Yeah. It was fun. There, there was a, a smart angle on it and overall it was, it was enjoyable to me, but again, just pretty forgettable. Yeah, I agree. Okay. Then we get a live sketch with so many high minded and socially conscious Super Bowl ads this year. Cheetos has decided that they need to up their advertising game and they pull in two ad agencies to pitch them on uh, some fresh material. What'd you think? I thought it was a great premise. Mm -hmm. The whole play on the Super Bowl thing is brilliant, actually, because it's perfect timing to do it. And I did get a, a good sense of that. And I just love that Baldwin gets, you know, how he grabs a microphone and makes love to it. Well, <laughs> you know, I mean, like with his voice, his cool Batman voice, <laughs> yes. doing a super serious pitch that has nothing to do with Cheetos <laughs> and, and selling it and just, you know, he does what he does. He's Alec Baldwin. He's hilarious. And I think that's really what it was. Like, obviously they knew that there was a goof to be made because so many of the Super Bowl commercials were so high-minded, Yeah, but it really comes down to Alec has that presence and that voice, like you said, to really sell it. Yeah. So what vehicle can we create to just let them stand there and just say, hard cut Cheetos, yeah. <laughs> you know, as many times as we can squeeze into three minutes. Yeah. Um, I really thought that AD Bryant did a lot in the moments where she wasn't speaking. Right. She had a way of seeming enraptured whenever Alec was speaking, like she would kind of look at the ceiling almost like this is a religious experience for her. Like yeah. she's feeling it just resonating through her and she's just connecting. And by her emoting that way, it kind of really sells it back to Cheetos that, of Oh, course. this is powerful material. Look at, you know, look at AD Brian, just overcome with the emotion of it all. So I think it's really great that she found that. Yes. Yeah. That, that little bit of performance that she could use to really 
ramp it up a bit. So yeah, Alec and uh, AD both, I thought really were good as their duo there. Mm -hmm. Good, competent, efficient little sketch. Now we get another pre-tape. Jake Tapper has to draw a hard line with Kellyanne Conway and the scene quickly devolves into a fatal attraction esque kind of showdown at Jake Tapper's apartment. What do you make of this one? <laughs> See, it's, it's hard because it's one of those things where I don't know what's going on. I just found it to be really kind of dark and disturbing and kind of, <laughs> it was definitely that. Yeah. And kind of being like uncomfortable in a sense. <laughs> okay. Now, have you ever seen fatal attraction? I have not, sir. Okay. So if you've seen fatal attraction, this sketch will make a lot more sense to you. So it's a parody of Fatal Attractor. The first two thirds of it are almost like a beat for beat. Is it really? Run through. Like they even bring in a lot of the dialogue line for line from Fatal Attraction. Okay. Gotcha. So without that context, I can get why it would just be a little confusing and dark and disturbing. Yeah. That said, even as a goof on Fatal Attraction, the sketch still got really dark there at the end like Mm -hmm. when she goes out the window and then there's like the supernatural angle to her getting up and having three lives left or whatever like it's like Catwoman. yeah like i think what happened and what happens a lot of times with snl is they have a really great premise for a sketch they take it as far as they can take it and then they've painted themselves in a corner they've got no good button for it to exit right a few times this season they've just had a really like abrupt and tonally different way to just hit you over the head to get you out of the sketch. They did it with the Chandra and Malik sketch a few weeks back where Keenan and Leslie were in his car. And then for really no good reason, it just blows up to get him out of the sketch. Right. This kind of felt like that a little bit Yeah. where it, yeah, it just seemed a little tacked on and mm-hmm. maybe there could have been a more elegant way to get out. That's easy for us to say, not yeah. being at SNL with a day and a half to turn around the script before you've got to be on location shooting it. So exactly, I want to make sure that I'm not overly critical of it because it did have a lot going for it. There was a lot of good laughs, the characterization, the acting, like all of that stuff was top notch. The production values were top notch. And I was really, really digging it. It was just after she's out the window and it becomes a completely different movie. That's just jarring. Right. Now we get another live sketch. Colonel Larson is inspecting the infamous C company, which just happens to include his brave little man. Very, very <laughs> funny sketch. Baldwin in a power position is is a very powerful character. Sure. At one point, I don't know if you know, well, I'm sure you noticed it as I did, but he screwed up the line. Oh, yeah. yeah. And right away fixes it. And then it already has a callback in it within five to 10 seconds. Like to me, he made a funny line hilarious. Yep. You know what I mean? Yep. Just by messing it up and, and knowing how to handle that situation. Like in, in a, as a comedian or as a improviser, like, you know, you have to acknowledge the elephant in the room and mm-hmm. he did. Yep. It was a masterful recovery. The line was supposed to be chili cookout. He turned it into cookie chill out. Yes. And he used it as an opportunity to taunt his guys further. Yes. And just, it's another excuse to yell. It was a masterful recovery. It was perfect. It was the best thing he could have done in that situation. So I'm glad you, you made a note of it. I made a note of it too. You don't want to let someone's in the moment kind of stroke of genius to salvage a performance go unnoticed. And this was one of those situations, but the sketch overall, like the premise of he's tough as nails. He's doing like your full metal jacket style, just grinding these guys into the ground. But he also has a soft spot for his boy thrown into the mix. So as a concept for a sketch, do you think it was good? And do you think that they were able to find the funny in it? 
I like the concept right away because mm-hmm. I have two sons, so <laughs> I know I would be doing everything I could for them. Sure. Yeah, I mean, it was kind of like a almost like a one trick pony, you could say. Like, yeah, you know, all right, he's the dad, he's soft on him, and uh, you know, yep. I think they could have done a lot more. It, it started really good, and I wanted to see like how crazy would he willing to be to protect his son in a sense. So I would like to see more of that. Sure. That's fair. It was very quick in and out. You're right. And they didn't take the joke any further than the dad just has a soft spot for the kid. So he's asking the surrounding players, you know, is he adjusting well? Yes. But you're right. There could have been other avenues they probably didn't mine it as much as they could have. Right. That was my criticism. In it. Yeah. But the other side of that is, is if they did try to mine it further and it got old or the jokes that they came up with weren't quite as strong, then we'd be criticizing it for not getting in and out quick. So I'm happy to just say this was again, a quick little efficient sketch, like so many of the sketches in this first half that is serviceable. It's competent. It's a win, but it's not breaking the mold. It's not one for the record books. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. It is what it is. Yep. What'd you think of Ed Sheeran? He did two songs, shape of you and castle on the hill tonight. Any thoughts? I don't have any because to be 100% honest with you, I didn't watch it. I was on a serious deadline this morning to get stuff done. I had to fast forward through that. Okay. Your first outing with the podcast, you didn't do your homework. (laughs) I thought we're doing the sketches. (laughs) Um, For my part, I didn't really enjoy the first song so much. Just, um, I don't know, just didn't connect with it. I thought his performance was very solid, very tight. His band was great. There was nothing wrong with it. Just wasn't anything I enjoyed. Second song I thought was pretty good. It was sort of, in my opinion, a bit more of a a mellow summer of 69 kind of song. Mm -hmm. Now, if you'd heard it, we could have dissected that a bit, but again, you didn't do your homework and you've left me blowing in the wind here. So we'll just, we'll leave the, the music at that. I thought Ed Sheeran was fine, but didn't blow me over. Weekend update. Weekend update. As always, our opening salvo is all Trump, all politics, all basically the week in review. And, uh. It seemed like Che and Jost were a little bit tighter and a little bit more on their game than last week. Did you feel that there was anything memorable about their opening salvo this week? You know what? It might have not have been the content. It was the chemistry between the two that I I could see a little bit more of. It didn't seem like they were on their own. They were more working together. They were laughing. They were kind of making eye contact. You can kind of hear uh, Mike, Michael laugh when, when Colin said something funny. They're having a better time. Sure. That's what I got away from it. Okay. So some good interplay as far as you're concerned. Yes. Okay. It all seemed very serviceable and they seemed like they got through the material a lot better. There wasn't any major fumbling like there was last time. Right. The jokes were all pretty middle of the road. Nothing that I really like raised an eyebrow at and said, oh, there's a, a genius moment from Weekend Update. Right. But it was all very serviceable, which is my running theme so far tonight. After their opening run, we get Kate McKinnon as Senator Elizabeth Warren, <laughs> and she's there to root out corruption at Weekend Update. Another Kate character finds her way to the desk. And thank God for it. Uh, I love whenever she she comes on as anybody. She's one of the the few people that I get really excited with. And I, I didn't even know who the senator was, but <laughs> without knowing her, I laughed very hard. I thought she she was 100% committed as a character and, and, and as an impressionist and having a voice. That's what I looked for in Kate, and she nailed it. She was funny, and I think she nailed the impression without even seeing who the real person is. <laughs> it is kind of nice when your first introduction to a real person is through someone impersonating them. That's how I do. You will never look at them as a human being now. No. They will always be a parody of themselves. I thought it was a fun little outing. It's nice that they sort of turned it into a 
let's turn the tables on weekend update and pick at them a little bit. Like that was, that was a fun little angle for it. Very smart. Yeah. Yeah. Serviceable. Good. Absolutely. Now we get another run of jokes and then Alex Moffat, who is starting to build a little bit of momentum the last few episodes. Mm -hmm. He gets, I believe his first standalone weekend update character. Mm -hmm. And it is a guy who just bought a boat and he's there to talk about V day. I can't get over the fact that he throughout the whole time, the way he sounded and the way he was delivering, it reminded me so much of David Spade. Okay. Yeah. David Spade, he made a career on being uh, sarcastic and douchey and a bit of a dick. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I can see a lot of that. No offense to David. No, no. I mean that, that, that was his shtick. David Spade's great. Um, I can kind of see that a bit. I feel like Alex Moffat, I think he took things a lot further in the douchey, maybe frat boy. Yes. What you would expect, a an investment banker, or wall street yeah. guy to be kind of a thing, or just maybe just a child of privilege growing up at the yacht club. Right. I, I was getting all those kind of beats from it. And he has that douchey slang that they would have, oh. you know, it, you're shortening every word because you, you think that that is amazingly funny. <laughs> Everybody knows somebody like that, unfortunately. Totes. Totes, right? Yeah. Yeah. So there was a lot that he was infusing into it that I thought was fun to watch. Uh, it's a little hard to parse when every word is one of these corrupted, contracted down words. Yeah. It's, it's a little bit hard to keep up with where he's going with it, but I thought the characterization was really strong and I think it just bodes well for how much talent Alex Moffat has when it comes to getting lost in one of these personas. So I enjoyed it. I thought it was fun. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, for one of his first like real standout, this is your time you do a character. I think he did very well. Yeah. Very, very well. Yeah, he probably brought this with him. Right. It seems like this character is pretty fully developed. Right. So I wouldn't be at all surprised if this is something that he's been working on for a while that, you know, maybe he's pitched a few times and it's finally, <laughs> finally made it to the desk. Right. Yeah. So good. I enjoyed it. Leslie Jones and Mikey Day are a couple who have decided being inspired by the 50 shades of gray movies. They're going to experiment with a little S and M liven things up in the bedroom. And unfortunately it seems like Mikey day might be bearing the brunt of, <laughs> of the aggressive rough play. <laughs> yes. I like that. I like, I thought it was funny, you know, the, the 50 shades of gray and all that stuff to, to mix it in. It's Valentine's day. You kind of have to acknowledge that a little bit. And I think they did a good job with that. And mm-hmm. it's just funny just knowing that you just picture Leslie wearing what she was wearing and, and the glasses and everything supposed to be shy, like actually beating the hell yeah. out of Mikey day <laughs> who plays such a good straight character. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was, it was good to see. Yeah. Nice to see Leslie done up. It was fun that they used her hair and makeup and everything to play up her seeming to be the docile one in the relationship when really she's the aggressive one. That was fun. Mikey day. When he did the friend zone sketch a few weeks back, that was great. We learned that he has a really good ability to play put upon and mm-hmm. to play. Yeah. Just sort of like emasculated and yeah. subservient. So he has that character And so he was able to kind of bring that to this performance as well, where because he's kind of so weak and docile, he's just willing to be the punching bag and try and be a good sport about it. (laughs) So it it was nice. I think everyone found a good angle for their character to make that material work, Mm -hmm. work pretty well. Yes, I agree. Yep. Coming out of weekend update, we get the people's court, which was alluded to in the cold open, which is kind of a fun little callback there. Donald Trump is taking the ninth circuit judges to the people's court to finally get justice on his travel ban being overturned. 
I love the premise. I mean, you can do whatever you want with the people's court. It's kind of an open sure. season of what you can do. Having Trump as a character in the the middle of the meet, I think was smart. You know, you knew he was coming. <laughs> you didn't want to wait till the very end and you right. gave it to him when he might be thinking about going to bed or you might be going, ah, you know, my phone's looking interesting on Facebook right. and he brings you back. He brings you right back. And, uh, I thought it was funny. I thought it was goofy. It's a good observation you had that they position this right out of update where we have the first half of the show, which my take has been, you know, it's all even keeled. It's all good, but there wasn't anything really like building excitement and momentum mm-hmm. coming into the back half of the show. We do need a shot in the arm. Right. And so it's very interesting that the producers were savvy enough to choose to drop Trump here. Right. This is the tent pole that everyone's hopefully been waiting for. Good job, Steve and Lauren. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I think that's smart production. Right. The sketch itself. I thought it had a lot of good moments. Putin is always a win. The material, it all played well. Mm-hmm. I felt it was a little loose and shaky at moments. There, there was just a, a few times throughout it where the timing maybe was a little loose or maybe, yeah, maybe it just lost a little bit of energy. Mm-hmm. But overall, I felt it, again, serviceable and fun. I walked away saying, oh, that, that was fun. Not groundbreaking, but fun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Putin was in. He wasn't playing a too big of a part. He was in and out in, in seconds. That's what she said. <laughs> I thought he was going to be more part of it. It was in and out. And that's kind of how I felt. It was, it was good. It was in and out and satisfied. That's what she said. <laughs> that's it. Uh, okay. Let's move on. A look inside Beyonce's womb. <laughs> Tracy Morgan shows up him and Keenan Thompson are Beyonce's babies discussing the advantages of being the offspring of pop music royalty. <laughs> yeah. Fun. I didn't know what to expect because I saw the, they open up on uh, Alec and and then it was supposed to be Beyonce and I mean for me Beyonce is um, Maya Rudolph yeah. to me she's she's always going to be Beyonce right so sure. I didn't know who she was right away and then they said okay okay I get it I get it and obviously seeing Tracy Morgan is it's so so good to see going through what he went through mm-hmm. and to know that he still can make people laugh. You know, he does his thing. He's Tracy Morgan. He says the, <laughs> I'm going to get her pregnant, you know, stuff. Right. And even though I'm in the womb, so you know, like he does his <laughs> thing. We're satisfied with that. He doesn't seem to say much. He just does his thing. And, and Keenan's there to guide him along. And, you know, it was a good sketch. Yeah, it was fun. I was happy to see him. I thought Sashir did a really good job as Beyonce. My first thought was exactly like what you said, which is, yeah. no, 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 she's not Beyonce, but you got to pass the torch sooner or later. Yeah, you do. And she really did the part justice. Yeah. I have nothing bad to say about what she brought to the part. When she needed to sing, she sang. When she needed- She sang very well. Yeah. That was actually her. I was like, I was, if she auditioned with that, she, uh, get, her <laughs> get her to sing more. She did really good in the part and she- Beyonce has kind of like a quiet presence when she's speaking and Sashir was able to capture that. Mm-hmm. I've always felt that Sashir probably has a heck of a lot more talent and versatility than we've ever been able to see on SNL. Yeah. And there's got to be a reason why they keep her around, even though she is kind of underutilized. And so my sneaking suspicion is that she probably is like really, really good. And SNL just hasn't figured out how to really just give her enough to bite into. Right. Yeah. I hope they find more because she usually does really, really good with the little bits that they give her. And I just, I'd love to see more of her or better material. That's, that's better suited to what she's able to bring. So that's a lot about Sashir. The sketch overall I thought was fun. Nice to see Tracy Morgan. Yep. So yeah, again, fun little outing. <laughs> Moving on. Yeah. Leslie wants to play Donald Trump in our last pre-tape of the night. What'd you think? 
it's interesting because already in this episode, Leslie's not being really Leslie. She's not on the weekend update doing her kind of stand up bit. She's playing characters. Mm -hmm. And I like that they kind of let her go in this episode. And I like that it's Leslie <laughs> who wants to be Trump. Sure. I think it's a it's a funny premise and and her doing everything she can to learn it, to dress like him, and then built up all this, this self-confidence and ready to, <laughs> to show Lauren, gets to Lauren's office, and he's like, yeah, there's no chance. Yeah, it's not happening. <laughs> not happening. And then to have what you always want to see, I mean, for me anyway, as a Leslie Jones fan, is her pissed off, like super angry, <laughs> overreacting, throwing stuff. To me, I thought it was fun. Yeah. I thought it was a funny concept, and she did very well. Yeah, they've done, I think, three of these mockumentary style behind the scenes reality television inside SNL things with Leslie Jones and Kyle Mooney as her love interest. And I think these work really well because you feel like a fly on the wall. So you get that fun uh, feeling of kind of like being in SNL, but you also get this totally absurd premise yeah. playing out in front of you and everyone playing it straight. It's great. Yeah. It's just great. Leslie saying, why do I always get cast in these roles as just the chick that's yelling as she's, you know, screaming and destroying Lauren's office and yeah. pinning him to the wall. It was fun. I really enjoyed it. I thought this was another fun outing. And I, I like seeing these kind of, uh, mockumentary things that they've been doing. Yep. Myself as well. Cool. 10 to one sketch. An inspiring coach helps a flatulent Mikey day to break the school record. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It was fart jokes. I don't know what they're thinking, but <laughs> it's fart jokes. Like, there's nothing else that need to be said. Uh, for me, I would have liked to see the coach actually reacting instead of pretending like it's not going on. Right. You know what I mean? That's what I was kind of waiting for is this like, oh, is he going to start to like the smell? Is he going to like <laughs> talk about it? You know what I mean? Because Alec can go pretty deep into character. Sure. You know, sure. Canteen Boy. Let's just, you know, I thought it was going to be similar to Canteen Boy with sure. the farting, but I guess it never happened and it just kind of ended. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think you actually probably um, dissected this further than than I feel yeah. <laughs> it deserved. I refuse to try and find any kind of meaning or purpose or value in this beyond just it's always fun when someone farts on screen if someone farts or gets kicked in the balls <laughs> sure. or something it's always funny it's always funny it's the most juvenile simplistic thing they could have done but fun i'm sure they all had a lot of fun with it and the fact that it was only a minute and a half i think was appropriate for the material and i refuse to go any deeper on <laughs> on this sketch <laughs> I, I don't blame you sir so that's our run through that's it yeah now, what was the moment of the night as far as you're concerned? Melissa McCarthy, cold open. When she got so angry, she started charging at people with a, a motorized podium. <laughs> I thought that was brilliant. I thought that was so funny. Yeah. When Melissa McCarthy came out last week, the final escalation in the sketch, the thing that ramped it up as far as they could possibly take it was her picking up her podium and ramming the reporters. <laughs> so this time, if they're going to figure out a way to go further with that, they need to put that gag on steroids. Yeah. And they did. I would love to have been present when the writers went to the, the props and the, the dressing and the production team that has to build this stuff and say, can you put together a working motorized podium that, <laughs> that Melissa McCarthy can drive around efficiently and quickly in this space? Like, I don't know if it was a segue under there or what it was, but like it worked really well. Yeah. Like, this was a, from a production standpoint, that was a big win to be able to have that there. And 
reveal it the way that they did. Like you don't have any idea that this is not the same podium from last time. Yeah. This was a a fun little out and left field moment that you did not see coming, which is what you need in a sketch where you're pretty much going beat for beat through what you saw just one week prior. So that was, that was good. That was really good. A great ending to a great sketch, I would say. Yeah, no, that was a fun moment. I'm going to give my moment of the night to Sashir in the chocolate candy black history month thing. I thought that that was just a really good performance. And when I was watching it the first time, I thought, yeah, that was some really good acting that tonally fit that material. Perfect. Mm -hmm. And Sashir doesn't get enough love on the show. And now that Melissa McCarthy's in the mix, she's going to be getting all of our MVP nods and stuff like that for the foreseeable future. So I want to make sure that I acknowledge that Sashir did some really good work tonight. She did Beyonce and I thought that she did a good job on that. I thought her singing was sharp. I thought her, her vocals on that was sharp and her performance was sharp. And then this especially was just a fun nuanced little moment Mm -hmm. that was not the make or break thing for the sketch, but it serviced the material and it worked very much with what they were trying to put up on screen. And so, you know, good on her for just being really competent with that material. Right on. So that's my moment of the night. What's your best overall sketch? I like the people's court. Mm Mm-hmm. I was waiting to see Trump. I wanted to see what kind of uh, world they were going to put him in. They put him in the people's court, which is a funny concept for having him defend himself the way he did. It was my favorite guess for sure. Yeah. My feeling is that the Melissa McCarthy cold open is if we're being objective and just taking it as a standalone piece and not putting it into context of the fact that we just saw this the week before and just look at it on its own. I feel like that is still the strongest material in the show. Right. Cause she's such a powerhouse. The material is funny end to end. It had sight gags. It had production things that were intriguing there. Mm-hmm. There was just so much to love about that, but we gave Melissa McCarthy and that, press conference premise so much love last week that I'm going to kind of break my rules of being dispassionate and trying to be intellectually balanced. And I'm going to take her out of the running because we love her. Everybody knows that's great, right? but we said everything we needed to say about how great Melissa McCarthy is last week. So for my sketch of the night, I'm giving it to the Leslie Jones wants to play Trump pre-tape. I feel like those are fun pieces of comedy that there's some subtlety to them. Like they're just not going for like wall to wall in your face jokes, Mm -hmm. the same as something like, you know, the Melissa McCarthy sketch would, there's just a little bit more of a, a joke found in the whole scenario and production of it. You get the little aside conversations and aside interviews and things like that. And, uh, I feel like it was a more subtle piece for the night compared to, we had a, a fart sketch, you know, and we had a lot of like Alec Baldwin yelling, (laughs) you know, we had a lot of like very in your face, loud comedy tonight, right? That this, I felt was a fun, subtle beat. That was a really strong end to end sketch. So I'm going to give it to that. Right on. It's a good decision. Cool. MVP. You know what? I'm giving it to Alec. I mean, he, in a lot of ways, he could be like the, the other guy that could have always been on SNL and for him to not only do it week after week and then to come back to host a show, the guy is, you know, he's so phenomenal. It's always good to see him and that big of an actor and to keep on coming back for that alone. He's MVP and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the right call. Yeah. There's a lot of times where the show has to be very careful in how they utilize their hosts because the hosts don't necessarily have the comedic chops or timing or performance ability to be able to carry the comedy in a sketch. So they have to be more of a support or the straight person or whatever. Mm -hmm. So they write around that a lot of times. Right. But with Alec Baldwin, you just get the sense that the writers are all like, okay, now we've just got 
another quarterback or, you know, we've got like a really strong person that we can just take and run with. Mm -hmm. So all the sketches you see, he's the Colonel. He's the guy delivering the ad. He's Trump, you know, on and on he's front and center bringing the comedy into the sketches. Right. And so you have to respect that the show, well, I mean, it goes without saying he's been there 17 times. There's there's no argument here. The show knows that he's a strong performer who they can lean on. And I don't think they ever have to hold back and be delicate with their material when they have him in studio. So I think you have to respect that and you have to respect how heavily he was utilized end to end with the show compared to some hosts. And uh, so I'm going to give it to him too. It's funny that you have Melissa McCarthy in the same episode as him. You normally wouldn't have this kind of like grudge match of who deserves MVP, mm-hmm. but we actually had like an embarrassment of riches when it came to friends of the show coming in and being able to bring a lot. So yeah, uh, I think he deserves it because he was ever present throughout the show. And Melissa McCarthy, as always, like we mentioned in our last cast, she certainly deserves her props as well for uh, making spicy into such a comedic force. Yes. And I'm, Sure, we'll be seeing a lot more of that too in the coming weeks. Absolutely. On a scale of classic, great, typical, weak, or train wreck, how would you rate this episode? It was great. Okay. I would say it was great to just under under great. It wasn't <laughs> okay. tremendous. It wasn't like, oh my God, this from, from the start to finish. It was like, it was consistent. It was funny. It was good. It was, wasn't over good. It, it wasn't... <laughs> great English and terrible wasn't terrible by any means it was a batting above 500 okay I would say if it was rating it on a test I'd give it like 70 yeah 70 percent yeah okay I think you may have been a little bit warmer on it I'm giving it a solid typical okay I felt like it was serviceable end to end there were no crash and burn moments there was there was nothing wrong with the show and when there's nothing wrong with the show and it's just a generally entertaining fun show that I walk away saying, yeah, that was satisfying. Mm -hmm. That to me is a typical show. Right. I was hoping for a really great show because this was Alec Baldwin's like big triumphant return. And because it was so hyped, I was hoping that maybe they really had like an ace up their sleeve that was just going to like bring the house down. Mm -hmm. We didn't get that moment. And so I don't feel like I can give it a great, but I felt like it was perfectly consistent and perfectly good. And I was happy with it. Right. Good review. Yeah. So I think we're in the same general range there, but you're veering on the great side of the scale and I'm veering just slightly into the typical side of the scale. If it wasn't for Melissa McCarthy, honestly, yeah, I think for me, that was the ace. You know what? If this had been the first time we saw Melissa McCarthy, I would have said great. Right. Last week, I gave great to a show that was like all over the map because we had this monumental moment of comedy that's going to be synonymous with SNL for years to come. Right. Because we had that, you can't deny the greatness of the show. It's true. But this was the second outing. So I can't be like, oh yeah, this is historic too, <laughs> to see the character again. Right. That's and true. I think that may be what would have pushed it over the line one way or another. Okay. Very serviceable show. Very good end to end. And uh, it was nice to see Tracy Morgan. Nice to see Melissa McCarthy again. This whole season, I think has been firing really well. And I think this is continuing to keep pace. I agree. It's still going strong. Awesome. Well, Matthew. This was a fun outing. I'm glad that you're on board. I really appreciate you having me on. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. All right. That's a cast. Thanks to my guest, Matthew Hawkins. You can connect with Matt on Twitter at TheMimicHawkins. If you'd like to support our podcast, please consider using and bookmarking our Amazon and other affiliate links found at snlafterparty.fm. It costs you absolutely nothing to use our affiliate links when shopping online, but it really helps us in covering our costs and is greatly appreciated. We'll be back in two weeks with our first SNL Vintage episode, and then one week later when SNL returns with host Octavia Spencer. 
This has been episode number 15 of the Saturday Night Live After Party Podcast. I'm John Murray. Good night and have a pleasant tomorrow. Oh my God, let's hear it for Ed Sheeran! Happy Black History Month, baby. It's not gonna be. It is. Russell Stover is honored to introduce our Black History heart-shaped box. Inside, you'll find 28 scrumptious African-American heroes, one for each delicious day of this important month. Terry Tubman, babe. Because a deep, rich culture deserves a deep, rich chocolate.